And now, yeah. coming straight from the lion's den, you know when that widow shit was going down, your host, Val Diesel, baby. Oh, yeah. It's time to kick the tires and light the fires. Now I can talk about what we were talking about yesterday. Now, like I said before, <laughs> you had all of these libtards, all of these progressive pussies running around talking about the 8th of December, it's the safe harbor, the safe harbor, you get to the 8th of December. Okay, first of all, dumbasses. And by the way, make sure y'all support the channel. Go to Cash App, dollar sign, The Angry Man. Make the Cash App ring during the stream. And appreciate y'all for helping us reach a thousand followers. Y'all already know what it is. But first of all, What you didn't realize, dumbasses, is that for those of you that are libtards that are actually watching, what their stupid asses didn't realize is that the safe harbor date, that wasn't Trump's deadline. That was fucking Joe Biden's deadline. That was the deadline of all of those Democrat states to make sure that every legal challenge was cleared up before they certified their fucking results. Now, because they went ahead and certified their fucking results before all of the legal challenges actually were cleared up, guess what? Legally, technically, that makes your slate of electors that you sent in for Joe Biden Fraudulent. Fraudulent. But what you think, you seem to think, and this is what I can't figure out about the fucking Democrats. They're so, they're so fucking stupid. Just because a fucking attorney general of a state certifies the fucking results, that don't make it so. Even if you can't get the fucking Supreme Court to, to crawl out from under their desk long enough to actually challenge that bullshit, it doesn't really matter at the end of the fucking day. Because the person that counts the electoral votes is the incumbent vice president, which is Mike Pence, president of the Senate. Now, as I said before yesterday, okay? It was running around here talking about the, the fucking uh, December the 8th, Safe Harbor Day. December the 14th is when they collect and when they count all of the electoral votes. Now, you notice everybody in mainstream media is talking about all of these fucking deadlines. But not one of them has brought up the 23rd. Have you noticed that? No one in mainstream media has brought, brought up the 23rd of December or the fourth Wednesday of December. None of them. Ain't brought it up. Ain't mentioned it. You know why they ain't mentioned it? Because they know 
on the 23rd of this year of December. This man has power. Unlimited power. Right? Because at first it looks like the vice president doesn't really have any power. He looks weak and feeble, like, uh, uh, like Sidious on, on, you know, return of the, return of the revenge of the Sith. He's just, oh, uh, don't let me die. Don't let me die. Uh, power! <laughs> Unlimited power! Because like I said yesterday, most people not really paying attention to the fourth Wednesday of December, which is the deadline for the states, the state AGs to send in their slate of electors for their respective state to Mike Pence. Now, like I said yesterday, what Mike Pence can do is he can reject them. He can reject them and he can say to each one of those states, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, uh, fucking Pennsylvania, Georgia especially, he can say, look, you need to send me legitimate electors because the ones you just sent were fraudulent. Why are they fraudulent? They're fraudulent because you certified those election results while there were challenges, legal challenges on the books. And then you picked a set of electors for Joe Biden that in all honesty are not legal. So you need to clear up whatever fucking legal issues you got going on in your state because in order for you to certify you have to make sure that all the legal issues are cleared up then you can certify your results but as long as your results are being challenged you can't in essence certify we got checks and balances in this bitch for a reason we all constitutional out this bitch. You know, that piece of paper that the fucking country's founded on, you fucking commie bastards. Right? Send me the real set of electors, motherfucker. Or what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna use these alternate electors that's voting for Donald Trump. Right? Now, like I said before, when he does that, if he does that, then they can turn around and say, well, no, the electors we sent were legitimate. Prove it. That puts the ball in Biden's court for him to go to court and prove that the election was above board. The election was done properly, which his goofy ass cannot do. Can't do it. Now, a lot of you were saying, I don't know. I don't trust Mike Pence. I don't know. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Everything that I've seen thus far in the events that have led up to the 23rd of December, that led up to today, seems like Mike Pence is down. 
you had uh, Trump tweeting out that he's about to play the Mike Pence card. Ooh. Did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? You think this wasn't part of his plan, bitches? You, 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 think, you think that it, it was just a coincidence that today was William Barr's last day? You think that was a coincidence? You think it's a coincidence that everybody in the federal government, with the exception of the intelligence sectors of the government, have tomorrow off? You think it's a coincidence that he signed that executive order telling them that they got tomorrow off? Executive order just for this year? You think it's a coincidence that he's pardoning motherfuckers left and right? Is that what you think? Is that what you think? Now, like I said, Mike Pence can challenge their electors and say, look, each one of these states, you got legal challenges. You have until the 6th to get all of this cleared up and send me legitimate electors. Or what he could do is he could wait until the 6th and he could just not count those electors. Why? Because Trump and them were smart enough to go and pursue the state legislators in each one of those states, which is what you saw with Giuliani going there and having their little committee meetings and everybody was saying, it ain't gonna matter because they ain't in the court. <laughs> it ain't gonna matter. Oh, really? It ain't gonna matter. Reason why you think it ain't gonna matter is because your dumb ass don't play chess. It did matter because by Giuliani and Jenna Ellis presenting that case to the state electors and Jenna Ellis schooling them on their plenary powers granted to them by the constitution. Every last one of those states sent their own electors, which means that when the sixth comes and they have their uh, uh, joint session of Congress and Mike Pence is the presiding officer. He can choose not to count the Biden electors for those challenge states. He can choose to count the alternative Trump electors for that state. He can do that. It's within his power to do it. Or he can do the same thing that raggedy bitch Pelosi did where he could just take out those electors for Joe Biden and tear them in half. He most certainly can. One thing that I'm convinced of at this point, short of a fucking miracle, Joe Biden is not going to become president. Short of a miracle, the way it's looking right now, the way it is looking right now, I, I can't see it happening. Every day that passes by, I cannot see this 
fucking potato becoming president. President. I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't see it. And see, a lot of people's like, well, why don't they just do what they're doing right now? Why don't they just do it right now? Like I said before, this is what I truly believe. I truly believe that Trump is running the clock out so that when he hits them with his Trump card, so that when he hits them with this double whammy, they won't even have enough time within the confines of constitutional law to even challenge anything. That's what I believe he's doing. That's what I believe he's doing. And they just gave him a fucking, oh my God. They just gave him a major, look, you already had, 46% of the population, right? 46% of the population believing that the election was stolen, okay? You got 80-some percent of Trump supporters believing it was stolen. You got about 16%, 10 to 16% of Democrats who believe that it was stolen. You also have about 10% of Democrats who said that if they would have knew about the Hunter Biden laptop, they wouldn't have voted for Joe Biden. Now, what do you think the opinion of Joe Biden is about to be right now with this $600 that they offering? What do you think that's going to be? What do you think that's going to make the American public think? They gave him a gift. They, they're so stupid. They, they believe that they got it sold up. This is the whole reason why they did that. They pulled that bullshit. They're like, oh, we got, we got Joe Biden in there now. Now we can slide this old bullshit in here. Now we're going to slide in a fucking uh, a 5,000-page foreign aid stimulus package basically to tell all of our foreign uh, uh, masters that we're not with Trump and we're sorry for the last four years. That's what the fuck that shit was for. That's what that shit is for. That's tribute is what that is. That's the Democrats paying the fucking globalists to be like, you know what? My bad. You know, we, we, we're not with the orange man. We didn't like all of the shit that he did. We're going to give you this money. And after he's up out of that office, we're going to take everything back to the way it was, where basically we allow you to siphon our fucking wealth to build up your fucking countries. That, that's what that shit was. That's what that shit was. The only reason they even offering to give you $600 is they're like, we got to give them something. It's stupid. 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 You gave, you gave Donald Trump an opportunity to confirm everything he's been saying about y'all. You gave him a fucking opportunity to shine yet again and say, this is ridiculous. This is unconstitutional. This is, this is un-American. This is a slap in the face to the American people. You just keep fucking up. Just keep fucking up. Just keep fucking up. You believe that you're going to be able to convince, like, come on, man. Come on. Come on. See if we had anybody hit the hit the joint. Let's see. 
shout out to D Remedy for coming through, man. We're going to get to some of these stories too. Some of these stories that just happened. Shout out to D Remedy. Appreciate you, bro. Turner. See, we charged up and we geeked up because we already know what it is. We already know. This shit is playing out just like I said it was going to play out. Playing out exactly the way I said it was going to fucking play out. Turner. Sullivan said, hit it. Let's see. Bishop One Love said, you got a thousand. Appreciate you, bro. Then we got Jackson. Turner. He said, D-Live telling me I'm muted, but keep going in. Why you muted? You shouldn't be muted. Where's Tali at? You shouldn't be muted. Shit, I don't see your name, bro. Hold on, let me let me check and see. Where how can I tell who's muted? Let's see. Uh, muted users. Okay. Let's see. I don't see. Let's see. There we go. There we go. Shout out to Tali. Appreciate you, fam. Shout out to Wesley. He said, up late for the D-Live fire. Appreciate you. Turner! Yeah, given, given, given all of our freaking money, to a bunch of fucking countries that don't give two flying fucks about America. Most ridiculous shit I've ever seen in my life. So just in case you're wondering, just in, President Trump vetoes $740 billion defense bill. I knew he was going to veto it. Knew he was going to veto it. 
President Trump on Wednesday vetoed the $740 billion defense bill. The National Defense Authorization Act passed both houses of Congress with veto-proof supermajorities. This comes as no surprise because President Trump last week said he would veto the bill because it would not allow for removal of our military from other countries. Trump said, I will veto the defense bill, which will make China very unhappy. They love it. Must have Section 230 termination. Protect our national monuments and allow for removal of military from far away and very unappreciative lands. Thank you. Facts. Facts. And by the way, also, also, I don't know how much Lindsey Graham, let's see, will Congress vote to override President Trump? Some GOPers say they support the defense bill, but will stand by President Trump and vote to sustain the veto. Okay, this is what I can't understand. Somebody make this make sense to me. Somebody make this make sense to me. What in the absolute fuck is the point of a veto if they can override it? Can somebody explain that to me? Somebody explain that to me. What is the fucking point of a, a veto power if they can override it? I would love to know. I would love for somebody to explain this to me. What's the point of it? Yeah, I know you have to have a supermajority to do it, but I'm just saying, what's the point? What's the point? Shout out to Restless 8. He said, finally caught the show live again. Appreciate you. Like, what is the point of that shit? That shit is annoying to me. That, that shit is that shit is annoying. To me, it's more bureaucracy. More, more red tape. More crap. Turner! More crap that only seems to undermine. The, 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 the power of the president. It's goofy. It's pure goofiness. Let's see, it said, let's see, Chad Pergram said, HSE, the House, Senate both passed final versions of the defense bill with veto-proof supermajorities. There have only been 111 successful veto overrides in U.S. history. Five, the veto override votes will be a test for some GOPers. Some say they support the defense bill but will stand by the president and vote to sustain the veto. They better. They better, man. Fuck all of this giving. Yo, why? Fuck all of this. 
doing shit for other countries, man. Fuck this shit. And, and, mm. Shout out to Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich said he will not accept Joe Biden as president. Will not. Will not accept it. And I don't blame him. And out there in California, I hope they get rid of Newsom. I hope they get rid of Newsom. I hope they get him up out of there. I hope they get him up out of there. And when are these two, when are these two going to jail? That's what I want to know. After pulling out hidden boxes stuffed with ballots, footage analyzed by Gateway Pundit reveals Freeman apparently scanning the same stack of ballots over and over again. Surveillance cameras show these poll workers watched and waited until the GOP observers and reporters had left the room before they resumed scanning their ballots. These four workers then continued counting uninterrupted for over three hours until sometime after one in the morning. During this time, Ruby Freeman, as seen here in this video, repeatedly scanned the same batch of ballots at least three times, which is highly illegal, and it's all captured on tape. Freeman was working with her daughter, Andrea Moss, who was also her election supervisor and was also caught on camera as one of the four workers who remained behind after election monitors were forced to leave the building. Georgia's officials have made serious efforts to dismiss the evidence presented on these videos, but so far there has been no explanation as to why Ruby Freeman scanned the same ballots multiple times, nor why they remained behind while the rest of the building was evacuated. Lawyers said it's highly unusual for anyone to store briefcases full of ballots under tablecloths, and it's not clear when those briefcases were delivered or why Ruby Freeman and her daughter waited until GOP observers left before they got them out. Based on the number of ballots observed in the briefcases and the number of times Ruby Freeman scanned the same set of ballots, experts say they could easily account for the sudden and mysterious spike in votes for Joe Biden. Pearson Sharp, One American News. Why isn't she in jail? Why isn't her and her daughter in jail? If I would have did that, I would have most certainly went to jail. Why? Why is she still? Why is she still free? Why is she ain't in jail? Why is she not in jail? Wonder what Rush Limbaugh had to say about this foolishness. I want to hear what Rush had to say about it.
We'll see what Rush had to say about it. My damn. I mentioned uh, President Trump's four-minute video last night from the White House and how awesome and classically outsider masterclass in communication it was. We have 40 seconds of it here that I can share with you to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package and maybe that administration will be me and we will get it done. Oh, had to attack that on at the end, as though uh, still may have something up his sleeve. So Trump slammed the so-called COVID relief bill because of all the pork in it. We went through yesterday how much money is in this thing, and it's actually over $2 trillion because the $900 billion gets added to $1.4 trillion to keep the government up and running. And so the American people get $600 each. Trump said, no way, we got to up that to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. And guess what? Pelosi and the Democrats are welcoming the change. Pelosi, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and even Crazy Bernie are cheering Trump's call for a $2,000 payment instead of $600. Now, why do you think that is? Uh, before you answer, don't. Uh, there, there's a there's a couple of possibilities of this. Now, politically speaking, Trump goes out four minute video from the White House, saying the hell with this six hundred dollars. The average American, while listing all of the pork, all the money going to all these countries for crazy things, fifteen million dollars to repair a patrol boat in Sri Lanka, and other ridiculous things, and so Pelosi immediately comes out and agrees with Trump. We need to have 2,000 or 4,000 per couple rather than this measly $600. Why would she do that? Why would she not come out and criticize Trump for this? Because politically, he crushed her. I guarantee you that I don't think Pelosi or any other Democrat had the slightest idea that Trump would react this way. They still don't know how outsiders think. They still don't know who Trump really is. They're not interested in finding out. Trump did what no other Republican managed to do. 
And he did it brilliantly in four minutes. He showed America who and what Nancy Pelosi and her Democrat colleagues are, selfish, entitled, uncaring, elitist. Remember who Pelosi is. Pelosi is the, the woman we saw standing in front of a $25,000 refrigerator eating gourmet ice cream during the middle of the pandemic while Biden says our darkest days are ahead of us. While millions of Americans stood in food bank lines because their jobs were shut down, because their governors and mayors were shutting them down because of the China virus. So now there are a number of things that the various supporters of the president are suggesting that he do. Some say he should veto this bill as he threatened to do last night. He did not say he was going to veto it. He held out the possibility. There's also the possibility of a pocket veto. Now, pocket veto is pretty much what it sounds like. And it is a way that the president could prevent this, uh, this, this, this idiocy of a bill from becoming law. Pocket vetoes don't happen very much. Congress has to be in the proper parliamentary posture for it to be in play, but that parliamentary posture could very well be existing right now. We could be in those circumstances right now. Under Article One, Section 7 of the Constitution, the president has 10 days, Sundays excluded, to either sign or veto a bill after it has been passed by Congress. Now, got to remember that because of the massive nature of the combo bill, the, the, the $900 billion of COVID relief and the $1.4 trillion appropriations bill to keep the government open, the bill has not even been enrolled yet, meaning it has not even been sent to the president. So the 10-day countdown hasn't begun. Now, here's where the pocket veto comes into play. The latest the current congressional session can end is 11.59 a.m. on January 3rd. That's the drop dead time for the 116th Congress, this current Congress, that's when it ends. A president can in effect veto a bill by keeping it in his pocket, by not signing it. He doesn't have to write veto on it, he puts it in his pocket figures will be speaking, and it just dies there. And if it comes too close to the end of the congressional adjournment, Congress must adjourn without a return date specified, no later than 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, January 3rd. In other words, Congress would have to get the president the bill by today to prevent a pocket veto. If he doesn't get the bill by today, the president could run out the clock on the current congressional session, which would effectively block any potential override attempts. See, you can override a pocket veto. The president doesn't sign it in 10 days. Congress has to come back, and that would be the, that would be the killer here. Pelosi would have to call Congress back from their vacations over Christmas 
to deal with this. The president would have to send it back to Capitol Hill with a veto. If he didn't do that in 10 days, then the bill would automatically become law. Now, the president didn't outright threaten a veto. It's unclear that the president's demands could even pass the House and the Senate. But it's nevertheless, it's something that a lot of people are recommending simply uh, to, some people want to inconvenience the Congress, force them to come off their Christmas break to deal with this. Remember, as I've been pointing out, attached the COVID bill is a $1.4 trillion spending package to fund the government through September 30th next year. If the president vetoes the COVID bill and the $1.4 trillion spending package, or if he fails to sign it by December 28th, there's a government shutdown. We still have that to deal with. And the Democrats love when that's on the table. So all of this, as Chad Pergram at Fox News writes, this, this has to potentially get really, really interesting. And there's any number of ways for the, the president to deal with this. But last night was classic. Here you have Congress passing one of these, these typical bailout bills, $600 for the average American. 600 is nothing. As one member of Congress said, it won't even pay 25% was Tulsi Gabbard. This won't even pay 25% of the average rent in my state of Hawaii. So Trump vetoes it and says nothing less than two a, a, a possible veto. Rips it, says 600 bucks, near, not nearly enough. We need 2,000 per individual, $4,000 per couple. In doing this, here's Donald Trump, the outgoing president, sending a message to the American people, who he is, that even after having been allegedly rejected by the American people, he is still looking out for them. He is still representing them. He is still putting them first. I mean, it would be easy for an outgoing president. I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn. 600 bucks, 600 schmucks, whatever we're going to do, I'm out of here. But no, the president made a point, recorded a four-minute video, master class in communications. Now, me personally, I believe that him coming out and talking about that bill that way and addressing it that way, I believe that's, I believe that is a sign of him telling everybody we we not going nowhere. Me personally. That's what I believe. I believe that is a sign of him basically saying, yo, we not we we ain't going nowhere. We not going nowhere. We 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 gonna have a second term. I, that's that's what I feel like. That's what I feel like. I feel like that is a sign of him basically saying, look, we not going nowhere. We're not going nowhere. Because like I said before, he's still doing business like he's not going anywhere. And did something that I don't think there's another Republican on Capitol Hill in the House or Senate who would have done this. But Donald Trump did. 
He criticized Congress for giving coronavirus relief payments to family members of illegal aliens. They're going to get up to $1,800 each, folks, while you get $600. Trump also pointed out that the bill failed to provide aid to restaurants and small businesses. And that's another thing we're going to get in today. Here is John in Jamestown, North Carolina, as we start on the phones. I'm glad you called, sir. Hi. How you doing, Rush? Fine, uh, sir. It, it is a total honor to speak with you, sir. I've listened for 30 years, and this is the best Christmas present I could have ever asked for. So thank you so much. Um, I wanted to hit on a couple of points. It's interesting that Nancy Pelosi said uh, months back that $1,200 was crumbs, but now $600 is, is pretty good. And it drives me nuts that we see this level of hypocrisy and we don't, I mean, it just continues. It just keeps getting worse. I mean, Trump was spot on in his four minute speech uh, yesterday. And I hope whether it be a pocket veto or a flat on veto, that something is done to shoot this down because it's obscene. I mean, you know, uh, $700 million to the Sudan, you know, uh, $10 million to Pakistan, $1.3 billion to Egypt is crazy. It's crazy rush. Um, no, it's, it's, well, it is, but the thing is, as I said yesterday, welcome to the way things used to be. This is exactly why we elected Trump to end this kind of thing. And he did, he ended it. We stopped giving away money, particularly to nations that do not support us. Um, we, we turned it around. We said to the, uh, Trump turned it around. We said to these nations, it's you who owe us after a fashion, but this is, that's why I made the point yesterday that this is the way it used to be. How quickly, how quickly the establishment reasserted itself with this bill. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it's going to be again. And here comes Trump while still president, stopping it somehow, threatening a pocket veto, threatening a straight up veto. You know, here's the thing. After Trump called on Congress to increase the payments from $600 to $2,000, Pelosi tweeted she agrees with it. Oh, yeah. But then she had to lie and blame Trump for the $600 figure in the first place. Pelosi tweeted last night, the Republicans repeatedly refused to say what amount the president wanted for direct checks. Democrats are ready to bring this to the floor this week by unanimous consent. Let's do it. But Trump had offered a COVID relief deal a couple months ago that was twice as large. This is what you, 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 you people probably know it. Trump offered and wanted a $1.8 trillion COVID relief bill, not $900 billion. He wanted $1.8 trillion. He wanted double the amount to go to the American people. And Pelosi, the Democrats said, ain't no way, buddy, not before the election. We're not giving you this. We're not gonna let anything happen to show the American people you're looking out for them. And so Pelosi refused, didn't want any part of it. And now she's claiming that all of this is Trump's fault because Trump wouldn't specify the amount of direct payment that he wanted. Pelosi turned it down. She didn't want to do anything that might help Trump get reelected. And now she's more than eager to sign on to $2,000 because 
She is lying and making it look like the reason she didn't support this amount before the election is that Trump wouldn't specify it and Congress couldn't work on it. That's not they weren't going to they, they weren't going to pass anything that would be beneficial to Trump before the and by the way that's politics 101. I'm not suggesting she should have. But when they're out there talking about how much they love the American people and they're looking out for the American people, the American people mattered more. It's like the Democrats looking out for the little guy. Democrats making sure the little guy doesn't get squashed and stomped on its BS. The Democrats are not looking out for the little guy. They haven't been looking out for the little guy since vested moneyed interests led by big tech became the bankrollers of the Democrat party. I mean, it had to be frustrating as hell. Here is the president trying to do everything he can to help people through this. Let's see. Nope said pocket veto is what is what is happening in my opinion. Yeah, that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna pocket veto it. And then once he gets his second term, then he'll come out with his own stimulus package. That's what it ended up happening. Because he's dealing with a bunch of blue state governors that are keeping their states locked down, which is preventing an all-out American economic recovery. It's being done, he knows, to harm him politically. He knows these Democrats are engaging in policy matters that are designed to harm the country, that are designed to retard the rate of growth of the U.S. economy. So it'll redound negatively to Trump. So he'd be blamed for it. And so that uh, the Democrat nominee would was all about presidential elective politics. And, but, but, but Pelosi is not the only one now cheering this $2,000. Chuck Hughes Schumer, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders. It's almost enough to make me think it's a bad idea. Tom in St. Augustine, <laughs> Florida, you're next. Great to have you with us, sir. Hello. Hi, Rush. Johnny Donovan says it best. A tradition unlike any other. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I did attend your uh, Russia Excellence Tour in Orlando, and I've been with you a very long time. I wanted to ask you, what do you think, or how will the Republicans react with the president going along with AOC and Pelosi? I just read on Politico they're going to push back. What are your thoughts? Uh, wait, 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 wait a minute now. Um, you you want to know how Republicans will react if the president goes along with AOC and Pelosi on what? The $2,000 check for myself and my wife. Uh, Pelosi's idea was $600. It was Trump. You're, you're making me wonder if you're setting me up here. Well, let me rephrase it then. Trump came out last night and said uh, he wants $2,000. Pelosi came back and said, yes, we're with you. My question, sir, is how will the Republicans react to the $2,000? Oh, do you think they will oppose it or support it because it's wasteful, because it's uh, government giving money away to people and that shouldn't happen? Or are you worried that they'll judge it in some other way rather than the comparison of $600 to $2,000? That's a very good question. I believe Senator Ron Johnson opposed the $1,200. He was very vocal about it in the media. Uh, and so I believe the Republicans are going to oppose it for whatever reason, especially now that it seems like the president 
Pelosi and AOC are on the same train. Interesting perspective. Look, I appreciate the call. Grab sound by number seven. Uh, Rand Paul weighed in on this in a way uh, on the on Fox and Friends this morning. Katie Pavlich, a fill-in co-host, asked him uh, this question. President Trump last night said he wants $2,000 checks going out to the American people. Is that something the Senate and Congress can do before next week? I saw the uh, president's speech. He was unhappy with all the spending to Pakistan and Sudan and all these far-flung places where we aren't taking care of our own. The problem is, is if we were to get more money to Americans, we would add it on top. I hope he vetoes it. But the only way I would vote for any spending or any additional spending is if it came out of existing spending. So uh, I part ways with the president on giving people free money. The cash payments is a ridiculous, terrible, foolish, no good idea because you're just printing up money to give to people. Why not do it all the time? Give people a thousand, ten thousand. Why not a million? It's a terrible idea. So Rand Paul continuing the the logic that uh, he had uh, opined with yesterday. He says, where does this stop? It's kind of like the minimum wage. If you're going to raise the minimum wage from 15 to 20 an hour, why not 25? Why not 30? And at some point, even advocates say, well, you can't give that much away. And when Rand Paul is pointing out is that $600, $2,000, it's still money we don't have. And if you're going to start giving money away, then why are there any limits on it? Why not just... Give everybody a hundred grand and be done with it. And of course, we're now $30 trillion in debt. We don't have the money that we are giving away now. We haven't had the money for anything we're doing. And keep in mind, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that before Obama got in office, we were only... I think I want to say 80 or 800 billion in debt, if I'm not mistaken. In fact, hold on. I think I got a soundbite from um, Steve Bannon where he talked about it. Yeah. Is taken care of by the state. You have the very wealth. The Great Depression. During my my dad was born in your company trust trust that your dad had for his retirement. But everything was kind of inner city, baseball leagues or bad. Because I, you know, I I don't agree with it either. I don't agree with it either with just handing out money. Um, I get why they're doing it, but you got to think it could be a, there could be like a sinister agenda because constantly passing these stimulus bills and giving the American public money it's kind of like you're trying to uh it's kind of like you're you're trying to prepare them for being socialist 
you know, it's, it's like you're, you're trying to get them accustomed to the government just giving them money instead of having a capitalist society. Because in a capitalist society, you don't, just, you don't just give money away like that, right? And I get what a lot of you guys are going to say. You're going to say, but we pay taxes or whatever. Well, um, you have to pay taxes in order to um, maintain the infrastructure of the country. Um, now, there are some places where these ridiculous amounts of money can be cut. But the problem is you're, you're gutting the economy by doing that. It, it would be better to stop locking down everything and let people work, let people run their businesses. Because this whole idea that, oh, well, we got to lock everything down because, you know, because of the pandemic, people are going to catch this, catch that. But it's like, yo, since when did America give a fuck about your health when did america give a fuck about that like if america gave a fuck about your health there wouldn't be a mcdonald's on every corner if america gave a fuck about your health you wouldn't be allowed to smoke cigarettes america gave a fuck about your health you wouldn't be allowed to do skydiving rock climbing and every other every other ridiculous thing that you can do in a free country that could possibly be hazardous to your health. So it's almost like they're conditioning us for socialism. You see? In fact, Steve, Steve Bannon talks about this in, in this interview he did with our Frontline. Let me pull it up real quick. Basketball legs, etc. You just learn you gotta stand up for yourself and you gotta fight. And if you fight, you, people give you some space. And uh, if you don't fight, it's just, you know, you're, you're, it's not a great life. So it was just, it, it wasn't any big deal. It was kind of like breathing air. So I, I remember the story about your dad that you told it almost felt like a, like a, you know, one switch gets turned on and young Steve Bannon or you're still, you're a grown up by then, but. Uh, no, before, before Obama got in office, when George Bush Jr. was in office, we weren't trillions of dollars in debt. We, we weren't. We weren't true. We didn't start getting into the trillions, if I'm not mistaken. We didn't start getting into the trillions until after the housing crash. Before that, we wasn't. We weren't trillions of dollars in debt. It, it goes to this idea of trust, trust in the government, trust in your company, trust, trust that your dad had for his retirement accounts. Well, look, we come from we're Irish Catholic, you know, the Catholic Church. The bell, you know, the, my grandfather and father, I think the only two guys in the history of the bell system to be booked back in the depression. About one of the things about his father working at the phone company is that they never laid anybody off during the Great Depression. During my, my dad was born in 1921. And as a very young person, he remembers all the neighborhood fathers got let go. His dad still had a job. Uh, the phone company didn't let anybody go. Uh, he also told stories about um, the, you know, the, the barring against, you know, they had like one or two shares of stock, which was my grandmother was actually born in 1922. And, uh, I think when she was younger, they were, they, I think they were in New York and the depression was so bad 
that my great grandfather, he decided to move back to Virginia. And he said at the very least he can grow his own food. Cause my, my great, my great grandfather had like 150 acres of land back then. And he knew how to farm and, you know, raise animals and stuff like that. So he's like, he, he went back to Virginia from New York because he was like, well, it, if I'm in Virginia, at the very least I can grow my food. It was everything. And they would borrow against the stock to like buy the house and buy, you know, I think the house cost like 2,500 bucks or something in the, in the thirties to build. They borrowed against their AT&T stock, AT&T, the bell system incentivized working class people to put X amount of their income away and actually become a shareholder. And being a shareholder in the phone company, that's where my dad's entire net worth was. And so when after the collapse, a couple of days after the collapse, when Kramer went on TV, Jim Kramer went on TV and CNBC, and that, that morning just goes, hey, if you need cash in like the next five years of your life, I mean, he's in full panic. If you watch the video, it's quite shocking. It's shocking CNBC actually let him on. But he's sitting there going, if you need cash in the next five years, you just got to sell everything and get go to cash. Because <laughs> we don't know where the bottom of this is. And two days later, remember, I had been at Goldman Sachs, and not only my dad asked me my opinion, a couple of days later, he sold all of his AT&T. And by the way, Jim Cramer, Jim Cramer, for those of you that don't know who Jim Cramer is, he warned him. He told him right before the housing crash. He told him. He told him. He told him. In fact, let, let, let's go back. Let's let's find that cut real quick. When Jim when when Jim went ape shit, I remember this. I remember watching it live when he went ape shit. Everything sort of starts out down a little bit, but nothing right. to worry about. Ah, boring summer fight. Almost, you know, right. a day we haven't had in a long time. Right. Just not exciting. Then all of a sudden, S&P says, ooh, we're worried about Bear. Right. Bear goes down. Market goes down. And then all of a sudden, things kind of calm down. Bear comes out and right. says, hey, we're okay, guys. We're okay. Everything's fine. Bear goes back up to neutral. Market's only down 20. Right. Then Bear comes out and says, oh, we're spot market 22 years. Yeah. And that's where we are right well, now. The market's down 100 points. Remember How do you Bear trade Stern? this? Remember the Bear Stearns? Uh, you got a, a Dr. Henry Ford uh, attitude here, which is uh, never explain, never complain. And he didn't do that. You keep your mouth shut during this period. You don't say a thing because you're going to say something but that people don't like. then we complain and we say, hey, come on, you guys. Keep your mouth shut. Come because, out here and talk about your exposure. No, you speak softly and you wait to that level where you think the shorts have overdone the stock and then you do what Dick Fold did in, mm -hmm. in 1998. You pick up the phone to guys like me and you say, 32 bid, 1 million. And then you get whacked and you come back and say, 31 bid from 2 million. They're not doing that. That just That inspires more fear. I don't want to create fear. I like Bear Stearns very much, but mm -hmm. I think that at this stage, this is not a good call. They shouldn't have done it, and they should have just said, you know what? Mm -hmm. We're doing well, and don't say another mm -hmm. thing. Just don't say it, because just... it, does not, it does not inspire confidence to have 10 headlines coming over about what to do. I don't like it. All right, I hear you. Now, I still, though... You know, when we said, and hey, let's the have... Dow can rally. We, we've seen the Dow no, rally. No, I know. I'm not even, but yeah, I mean, it's right. interesting, this, this bigger... Well, this is about Bernanke. This is about Bernanke. He has to be on that call. Forget the investors. 
The investors are going to do it. Bernanke needs to open the discount window. That's how bad things are out there. Bernanke needs to focus on this. Alan Greenspan told everyone to take a teaser rate and then raise the rate 17 times, and Bernanke is being an academic. It is no time to be an academic. It is time to get on the Bear Stearns call. Listen, open the darn Fed window. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. He has no idea. I have talked to the heads of almost every single one of these firms in the last 72 hours, and he has no idea what it's like out there. None! And Bill Poole has no idea what it's like out there. My people have been in this game for 25 years, and they are losing their jobs, and these firms are going to go out of business, and he's nuts! They're nuts! They know nothing! Kramer. I have not seen it like this since I went five bid for a half a million shares of Citigroup when I got hit in 1990. This is a different kind of market, and the Fed is asleep. Okay, but here's the thing. Well, Bill Poole is a shame. He's shameful. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I know he ought to go and read the credit at home document. At least I read the darn thing. Hold on, I know you're passionate. I, I hear you, but 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 at the same time, a lot of people are saying this is yes. It, there's certain types of mortgages that aren't available. There are there you are all sorts of issues. Loan but to go out and like say, me. but Kramer, but Kramer, if he did what you said, which seems to me from the way I'm you the just explained yourself, you. Jim Kramer's fucking awesome. Do you hear me? Jim Kramer is fucking awesome. This man right here, this man right here is awesome. Jim Kramer is fucking awesome. You talking about a guy who was homeless, who slept in his car, pulled himself out of poverty in the stock market. Okay? He's fucking awesome. He's awesome. He warned these motherfuckers. He tried to tell them. He tried to tell them. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't fucking listen. Cut it. Cut the rate. Open the discovery. And, and fucking Bernanke, the moment that he saw the shit happening and it was too fucking late, he goes running the fucking the White House to ask uh, 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 W, ask George Bush Jr. for a trillion dollar bailout. Right? So he goes and asks him for a trillion dollar bailout. Now, George Bush Jr. said he didn't have the ability to do that. He got to go over to Congress. So he goes over to Congress, basically uh, uh, begs Pelosi, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Pelosi. Begs Pelosi for the fucking money. And, and they end up getting the trillion. And they had to. They fucking had to because if they didn't, it was going to fucking destroy the American economy. But the funny thing is nobody, nobody was held accountable for that bullshit. Nobody. No one. All of those fucking predatory loans, those fucking adjustable rate loans, motherfuckers getting houses, people that don't even make enough money to buy these fucking houses, getting approved for these fucking houses. And these lenders knew what the fuck they were doing. Know exactly what the fuck they were doing. But nobody was held accountable. Fucking ridiculous. Okay, the rate. he comes the next week and cuts rates. Who the pressure? You're going to have, that's going to cause Armageddon. No, we have Armageddon. 
I wouldn't try to cause it. We have Armageddon. In the fixed income markets, we have Armageddon. No, but that's not what we they say. We have Armageddon. They say, even when, you, when I've talked to a couple of banks, they, they, they don't rate. say it's Armageddon. Well, who, they I'm, say it's repricing. They're very firm about oh, that. Oh, great. Now. Okay, well, let them be calm and then have them call me on the way home like they do every night and tell me, Kramer, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to help us? Are you going to help us? Are you going to stand on the sideline like everybody else and say that it's fine? Will somebody come on TV and tell the truth about how bad it is? But a lot of people say, these same people say, it's not Ben Bernanke and the rate that matters. The bond market now is completely it is separate from the It's entirely the rate. The bond market is trading no, separate it's from the rate. We, we'll, we'll spend billions in Iraq to build homes. We are going to have thousands of people. We have thousands of people yes. losing their homes right now. 14 million people. We'll build billion. We'll send billions to Iraq to build homes. But you got people in America losing their homes took a mortgage in the last three years. Seven million of them took teaser rates or took piggyback rates. Mm -hmm. They will lose their homes. This is crazy. Yes. I am sorry to be upset about it, but you have to understand what they're saying to me off the record before I come in here every night and every day. And what I hear from these blowhard managers who act like you call someone for heaven's sake. Go call someone. I worked at fixed income at Goldman Sachs. This is not the time to be complacent. All right. I mean, Jordan, sometimes I wish I didn't know anybody so I could just sit here and say, you know what? Just go buy some Washington Mutual and take that yield. Unfortunately, I know too many people and I'm too darn old. You are 62. I've been around for too long. I mean, look, I got to tell you, he is. Yo, Jim Cramer has been 62 for the past 20 years. <laughs> Jim Cramer has been 62 for the past 20 years. Could have sold his stock in a Catholic church before he sold his stock in AT&T, and he sold his stock. That and that that struck me is that this is a crisis of the institutions of our country, right? This is a this is a massive. We now have a institutional crisis when guys like Marty Bannon, who the country's kind of this kind of steady Eddie guy, who whole thing is to raise a family, to be there for the family, to be there for his community. He's the kind of these are the kind of building blocks that society, civic society is built upon. When guys like that are questioning the system and dumping their ownership in the system, the system can't go on like that. You're, you're now in a real crisis. It felt to me when, when we were watching, we made a number of films about it, and one of the, one of the, the things that happened in the Cascade, uh, because we make political films, we were thinking about, let's talk about Sarah Palin, for example. Somebody who could identify in some way what that was, what that fear and that anger was, probably in your dad and lots of dads and moms all over the country. Well, it's one of the reasons I came back. You know, I was living in Shanghai. I was actually living in Shanghai at the time. I was living in the French concession, spending most of my time there. I had a, I had a, I had a massively multiplayer video game company that had a big Asian presence in Hong Kong, Kowloon, uh, South Korea, and in China. So I was living there came back because I, I thought there were some financial problems. I was going to sell real estate, but then my sister pointed me to uh, this woman, Sarah Palin, just been named, uh, you know, was going to be the vice president. I actually went to the Republican convention at, as just with a, a, a filmmaking uh, guy, a guy who produced the um, Passion of the Christ, Steve McAveedy, mm -hmm. and went to the Republican and saw something unique in Palin and saw her go around. People forget when the financial crisis, when Lehman was put into bankruptcy, which was put into bankruptcy, I think on the morning of September 15th in London, 
right? And then it cascaded down. The, the, the smartest guys in the room didn't realize that the commercial paper market, the global commercial paper market, which is the way that every company in the world gets its working capital to, to kind of, you know, make payroll and to pay for the lights going on and for the janitors and for the, and for everything that's paid, you know, the GE, the biggest companies in the world, the commercial paper market every day, you're selling commercial paper to provide working capital. When that froze up on the morning of the 15th, the whole system froze up. On that date, uh, Sarah Palin and John McCain, I think were up one point in the Gallup poll on Barack Obama. The people forget, Palin came with such force at a thing for the first two weeks before she started to be kind of destroyed, they were on fire. It was in that sequence of events that week, I think, talks about the corruption of our institutions. And I think it talks about how the elites are comfortable with, with decline. Remember, on that Thursday morning, Monday goes into bankruptcy. By Thursday, there's a crisis that nobody knows what's going on. In this commercial paper market, the whole way that the whole entire global system is financed is now frozen up. And that's when you have Bernanke and Hank Paulson, who are not alarmists, particularly not Bernanke. And he's an expert. Remember, he's an expert in the Great Depression. That's his claim to fame. That's where his PhD is in. They go to the Oval Office to go see Bush, and they have a meeting, and they tell him, hey, and we know all of this by congressional testimony later. So these are the facts. They go to him and says, hey, by 5 o'clock today, we need a trillion dollars of cash infusion into the system. Or... The American financial system will collapse in 72 hours. The world financial system will collapse 48 hours after that, and we will have global anarchy and chaos. Mm -hmm. And Bush goes, uh, that's interesting, but we've kind of, the White House counsel, we kind of checked the Constitution. I don't really have authority to do that. You've got to go over to Capitol Hill. It's kind of their problem. And so they go up to Capitol Hill, they go to uh, Nancy Pelosi's office in, uh, in the afternoon, and they have the same meeting. In fact, they got to keep their they got to keep their blackberries outside. It's so it's so confidential, and they talk in there about they need this cash infusion. That's when you know Hank Paulson gets on his knees to Nancy Pelosi and makes some sort of pitch to her. The countries in literally what the Germans and the Japanese you know military and the Soviets what nobody could ever do to us Osama bin Laden nobody. We've now done to ourselves. We have literally caused a financial crisis. That will bring down the entire system in 72 hours. The biggest revolutionaries that have gone after the United States could never dream of what we had done to ourselves. And so that began a cascade right. of, and here's the thing, nobody, nobody has ever been held accountable for it. Nobody's ever taken responsibility for it. And it just kind of, that's why, you know, that, that we have never recovered. Well, somebody we have never recovered. We've never recovered from that, from that catastrophe. Somebody's been held accountable, which is, uh probably why we have Donald Trump sitting in the White House now. It's, it's conceivable to me, and you and I can talk about it, what happens politically uh, among the group that become the deplorables to Hillary Clinton, the forgotten to Donald Trump. The bang that went off on November 9th of 2016 at 2.30 in the morning was lit in the Oval Office on September 18th of 2008. It was lit right in that room. When? Now, because every it was lit, that, that fuse, that long fuse that has this populist explosion, right. exploded late, but, Every financial crisis, I think, in at least modern history, is always followed by some sort of populist, right? Now, sometimes that devolves into fascism and other things, but every time there's a financial collapse of this, and remember, this is the biggest financial collapse in the country's history. This is bigger than 
This is bigger than the Great Depression. This is bigger than the one in the 1870s that caused such a big problem. This is bigger than the one that caused the Federal Reserve in the early 20th century. This is the biggest financial collapse in American history. And this was one that was not done just by simple Ponzi schemes. This was done by an organized, thought-through effort of the financial and corporate elites that knew it was going. Remember, the scams pulled off here are absolutely outrageous. And so that's why you had this immense collapse. You had so many of the elites making so much money. Then when it collapsed, they wanted the taxpayers, the whole thing of the trillion dollars. The Federal Reserve didn't call all the financial institutions together and the corporations say, hey boys, we got a problem, right? This is a problem and we need to pass the hat. You got to cough up some cash. Yeah. That trillion dollars was from Marty Bannon. They hit print, right? They, they hit print, that, they hit print, but the guy's gonna pay for it is the little guy. Yeah. We live in neo-feudalism. This is not capitalism. Mm -hmm. This is where you have a underclass, right? A lumpen proletariat almost is taken care of by the state. You have the very wealthy and you have this kind of neo-feudalist working class and middle class in the middle that pays for everything. And the guys at the top, we've socialized the rest, that trillion dollars of infusion, right? Remember, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve on the morning of September 18th, 2008, when they're in the Oval Office talking, is $880 billion. Thank you. I told you. I told you. I told you. Before Barack Obama got in office, we were only in debt for $880 billion. Currently, right now, we are $30 trillion in debt. $30 trillion. $30 trillion. Let me back this up just a little bit. Kind of neo-feudalist working class and middle class in the middle that pays for everything. And the guys at the top, we've socialized the rest, that trillion dollars of infusion, right? Remember, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve on the morning of September 18th, 2008, when they're in the Oval Office talking, is $880 billion. The balance sheet of the Federal Reserve on uh, January 17th or January 20th of 2017, when Donald Trump raises his hand, is $4.5 trillion. The most progressive president in the history of our country, President Obama, save the wealthy. And here's how they did it. They just turned on the taps of liquidity. We call it, the technical term is quantitative easing. Right. The not technical term is called bailing out the people who are guilty. Okay? <laughs> so Essentially, if you owned anything, you had the greatest 10-year run in history. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Let's move to the TARP vote. And, and whether you think, so now all of that is happening. You have great. to do TARP, the first one you have yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. You know why your fiduciary, when, when a guy like Bernanke walks in and says, I need a trillion dollars, right? You don't have time to debate. History's gonna look at you. Shout out to PTC Power Up said, I'm a girl, LOL, thank you, great content. Yeah, I, I know you're a girl. I, I didn't think you was a dude. Appreciate you. Turner! Muhammad, appreciate you. Yeah, I, I could tell that you're a, a girl, a woman by the, you know, your your first name. Turner! It says, the American financial system is going to collapse in 72 hours and the world financial system two days after that. You have global anarchy. There's not a person on earth. I don't hear these libertarians and all these, you know, free market. Oh, let capitalism take place. Right. No. 
When they come in and ask for the first trillion in an emergency, I believe you have to say, okay, we got to do it. I don't know what went on here, but if you're telling me this is going to save me and at least get down the road, I'll do it. But remember, that's the first trillion. We kept on for another three and a half trillion dollars. Yeah. Three and a half trillion dollars. This is just bailing out the people that caused the problems. Got to think about it for a second. Uh, you know, Goldman Sachs didn't lose any equity. Uh, none of the partners really missed any bonus payments. None of GE still in business. AIG, it all still exists. All the donors, okay? The reverse side of this, remember, there is a corollary to this. It's quite powerful. And we know from the notes of the Federal Reserve, a guy named Richard Fisher, the governor, the president of the Federal Reserve of Dallas, argued this in the room constantly. He said, by doing this quantitative easing, which you're just flooding the zone with liquidity, we will save the institutions. And we will save anybody that's a big real estate holder or a hedge fund or bank. But he said, there's a huge reverse here. Number one, savings accounts, you're going to go to zero interest rates. Savings accounts are going to go to zero. So 5,000 years of the Western tradition, back to the Marty Bannons, which is be a good householder. Get a wife, get a mortgage, get some kids, and you save your money. Well, now if you save money, you're a sucker. Because it's broken the trust. That's the trust is broken. If you save money... You're a jerk because you're not going to get any interest pay. In fact, the banks are going to charge you. So there's been no, you can't, you can't put money away to save into the system. Number two, the pension funds. The pension funds are going to be destroyed. Today we have a $9.5 trillion gap between the obligations of the pension funds and, and, and what we've earned off the pension funds. Why? Because it went to zero interest rates and the bonds they can buy have no juice in them. Right? The other thing is the public schools and all this. Even communities that are not leveraged can't issue bonds because there's no juice in the bonds because the negative interest rate is 1.5%. We've essentially put the burden on the bailout on the working class and middle class. That's why nobody owns anything. Right. But the, the millennials today are nothing but 19th century Russian serfs. They're better fed. They're better clothed. They're in better shape. They have more information than anybody in the world at any point in time. But they don't own anything. They're not going to own anything. Okay, and, they, and they're 20%, if you, take, if you mark in time against their parents, they're 20% behind in their income. And there's no pension plan in the future. They're, they're all gig economy. We've literally destroyed the middle class in this country. Oh. Now, when I was on panels on YouTube, and I said the mismanaging of this country, okay, has led to the destruction of the middle class. You had some assholes that wanted to argue that point with me. They wanted to argue the point with me. Like, I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. And I'm like, dude, you, you think I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about? Look, just because I listen to rap music and speak like a street dude and dress like a street dude does not mean I don't pay attention to this shit. I pay attention to all of this shit. The reason why I pay attention to all of this shit is because I'm a grown fucking man. I'm, I have more on my mind than getting some pussy, okay? And that's, that's the biggest problem that you see over there in the ghetto sphere. That's all they think about. That's all they think about. You have one little conversation with them about the economy, one little conversation with them about politics, and you can tell fairly quickly that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're a bunch of grown children. A bunch of grown fucking children. Now, this is what I was talking about in one of my shows where I basically was breaking down, you know, because I said that shit about millennials. I was like, yo, 
millennials basically, you know, just like he said, the fucking 19th century Russian serfs, which a serf is just basically a fucking step above a slave. You feel me? They, they have nothing. You understand? They have to, they have masters that they serve. You understand? Because the master has to provide them with room and board. And that's really what you have going on right now. You have these millennials that they, they're never going to be in a position unless something drastic happens to turn this shit around. They're never going to be in a position to buy a fucking house. They're never going to be in a position to be on their own and shit. How, how can they? How can they? They don't have any of the shit that was available to us. And, and those of us who are Gen Xers, we barely fucking had it. We witnessed as they fucking gutted it. All of this shit started with Bill Clinton when he fucking basically raped the fucking country by stripping it of its fucking uh, industry, sending the jobs to fucking China and, and Mexico and all this other bullshit. Why the fuck are we worried about other fucking countries? Why are we allowing the elites in this country to fucking send jobs away so that they can get cheap labor so that they can have two yachts instead of one? It's the dumbest shit on, on planet Earth. It's the stupidest shit in the world, right? But this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're dealing with. If you're a Gen Xer, you've had more difficulty. Let me explain something to you. Prior to... Gen X, prior to our generation, you go back to the boomers, you go back to the greatest generation, silent generation, whatever you want to fucking say. One of the easiest things they could do was buy a fucking house. I remember my, my freaking uh, aunt, this, my grandmother's age, she's now dead and gone, God rest her soul. She put $2 down. That was her down payment to have a house built. Like, are you fucking serious? We, we can't even, we can't even do the basic fucking needs. And, and who do we have to thank for that? We have the fucking Fed. We have the fucking housing crash. We have presidents like Barack Obama and Bill Clinton to fucking thank for that shit. So then all of a sudden, here comes Trump and says, let's make America great again. This is what the fuck he was talking about. He's not talking about racism, you dumb bastards. He's talking about trying to fix the goddamn economy and fix the fucking system so that Americans can go back to a place where they can actually buy a fucking house, actually own some shit, own some fucking equity, actually be able to fucking save some goddamn money and get a fucking interest rate that isn't 0.01 fucking percent. I remember being a kid and the fucking interest rate being in some fucking banks, 3%, 5%. How the fuck are you supposed to be able to uh, maximize on fucking compound interest? Like I, I have a fucking, look, I have a fucking, <laughs> I have a fucking uh, 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 interest bearing account, right? The, the, uh, a fucking American Express savings account, which has one of the, a uh, 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 actual competitive rate. It's not a high rate. You know, it's 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 a fairly low rate. I think it's like zero point three percent or some goofy shit like that. So I did the calculations. I I did the compound interest ca calculations, right? So if I were to put, I think it's like I, I was looking at how if I was to put eight thousand dollars in that account, right? Because I don't really have a lot in that account. I don't see the point, right? I would rather take that money and put it into the market because at least then I can make some fucking money off of it. 
right? So I'm looking at the fucking interest and I'm trying to calculate it. And <laughs> you know how much interest, you know how much interest I would gain per year? I think it was like 80 fucking dollars. 80 fucking dollars. 80 dollars. You believe that shit? 80 fucking dollars would be my profit. $80. And this is me. This is me putting eight bands in there and then putting a thousand in there. Like, matter of fact, hold on. Let me let me see if I can look it up right now. Let me see if I can look it up right now. Let's see. American Express savings rate. Okay, so here's the American Express. All right, so they have a high yield savings account, which is 0.50%, 0 0.50%. So what, half a fucking point, right? Half a fucking point. Shit is fucking ridiculous. So at half a fucking point, right? At half a point, if I put a starting balance of $8,000 in there, right? And the annual interest rate, 0 0.50, right? And then I was to periodically add $1,000 every month. And I were to save that for 10 years, right? So 10 years, 10 years, I would I would end up with I would end up with $131,434.44 in the bank. But the vast majority of that isn't coming from the compound interest. It's coming from me putting a thousand dollars in there every month. Over 10 years, the profit I would make off of that at an interest rate of 0 0.50 would be three thousand fucking dollars. Ten years. 10 fucking years of savings, $3,000. $3,000. That's how fucked up it is for those of us who actually have enough intelligence to actually save our money or to actually try to utilize compound interest. You have any fucking earthly idea how ridiculous that is. That is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. As opposed to back in the day, I remember some interest rates that was low interest rates. There was, you know, about uh, three, I think one bank I saw had a regular savings account. I think the interest rate was three point, it was 3.85%, right? That's the last one I can remember in my mind. I think it was SunTrust. I think they had a savings account. This is prior to the housing crash and shit, right? So 3.85%, which is not high. You know, there are other accounts that you could have got back then that had a higher rate. I think some was as high as 5%, right? So if I were to do the same thing with 3.85% interest, over those 10 years, my money would make me $30,000. $30,000. So I would end up with 157000 in there, 
I would have I will have contributed 128,000 of it. Right? This this is this is ridiculous. <clears throat> this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. It's 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 ridiculous. Okay. And both political parties. By the way, this is not about Republicans and Democrats. Right. This is this is this is the way the system works. And this is the way the system comes together to protect itself and to, and to, and to move itself forward. Okay. And and so because nobody understands even the rudimentaries of finance, right? And they keep the public kind of economically illiterate, right? This allows to go on. And now we're in that crisis. That crisis. What Trump understood. Wait, wait, don't yep. go to Trump yet. Okay, okay. So we have this, we've created this world of, of unhappy people. The middle class is shrinking and destroyed. And that's the whole reason, that's the whole reason why Trump also gave you opportunity zones. That's the whole reason why he did that. With an opportunity zone, you could basically uh, defer your, your taxes on your capital gains. So if you made money off of a, uh, a, a real estate property or rental property or the sale of a property or, you know, artwork that you have that's appreciating the sale of that artwork or, you know, anything that can be considered a capital gain, if you put it in that fund, you know, in that uh, uh, opportunity zone fund, you could actually defer your tax payments on, on those gains, right? Now, why, why would Trump believe in something like that? Well, if you go back and look at Trump's history, one of the things that he was able to do when he was in real estate is he was able to get tax deferments. So if he built a building, let's say he built a building in, Man in Manhattan, right? He would, you know, try to get a tax deferment from the local, uh, uh, from the city where he wouldn't have to pay taxes for three years or something like that. Now, most people are like, well, why, what's the point of that? Well, if you understand the way finance works, if you can defer um, taxes that you have to pay, you feel me? You could virtually, you, you could possibly live tax-free. See, this is the main reason why them talking trash about Trump saying, oh, he didn't pay this tax, he didn't pay that tax. First of all, shut up. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Okay. Because basically, let's say for argument's sake that you have uh, some business endeavor that you're going into, right? Let's say that you're a multimillionaire. If you're a multimillionaire and you have your money in, in, in investments and you have your money in these interest, these high yield interest bearing accounts and things of that nature, and you go into a business endeavor and you get your tax taxes deferred for that business endeavor, for uh three years or whatever in that three-year time you may have made enough you may have made more than enough in interest off of your money that you have in investments and tucked away to actually uh uh, uh pay those taxes when the time comes so you didn't have to go find any extra money or you didn't have to take any money that you already had and pay those taxes you paid those taxes with the interest off of the money that you already have right or, or you could maneuver it in a different way. You, you, in this one business endeavor, you got, uh, uh, you know, your taxes deferred for three years, but you have another business endeavor where you basically, um, 
have fixed it so that you can move this money from this space to this space, it's also tax deferred. You feel what I'm saying? It's, it's a bunch of loopholes that you can use in American finance to where you can capitalize and come out on top every time. But stupid stuff like this that he's talking about makes it extremely difficult for Americans, those that are finance savvy, to be able to come up. And it's almost like it's being done on purpose so that uh, uh, one uh, section of the uh, American public, which basically is the working class, has to stay in that one spot. That takes away the American dream. That robs you of the American dream. The American dream is if you have the know-how, if you have the 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 uh, resolve, if you have the ambition, if you have the grit to actually grind it out, you're supposed to be able to rise in class. You're supposed to be able to make more money. You're supposed to be able to get yourself in a better position. You have any idea how fucked up it makes me feel to know that I fought to get out of poverty. I fought to get to a position to where I have a certain amount of cash coming in and I have to literally try to figure out where I can put my money so that my money can work for me. It's, it's, it's one of the most annoying things I've ever experienced. Now, had I been in this position in the early nineties, I'd have been good. I'd have been good. Uh, in lots of ways. We're going to catch back up with it in a minute. Okay. But now let's go to you, Breitbart. Well, yeah, you can do stuff the way you can defer it forever. There's, there's loopholes for you to do that. There's loopholes for you to do that. But you got to be able to, you know, you, you got to do the right things. You got to have the right team around you. You know, in fact, uh, who talks about that? Um, Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki talks about that. He talks about having, you know, uh, bank managers, you know, bankers, lawyers, accountants, having all those people on your team so that they can figure out how to limit the amount of taxes you have to pay, if not eliminate it. So when they say stuff like, oh, Trump hasn't paid taxes, that, man, that's low hanging fruit. That's low hanging fruit. You're talking about a dude that's a billionaire. You feel me? You even had Jay-Z in the song, um, What's Free with Meek Mill. What he said in the song, he said, I'm virtually living tax-free. He ain't lying. Uh, coming here. And most people say, well, that's messed up that the elites don't have to pay no taxes and blah, 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 blah. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if a billionaire is, is paying a lot of taxes or not paying a lot of taxes. The reason why is because billionaires create jobs. You feel me? So they might not be paying taxes or whatever, but the, the millions of people that are employed to them and work for their companies are paying taxes. Okay. So it like, come on, man. It's see a lot of people, the biggest problem with the American system is you have winners and you have losers. Okay. Now, the losers who are the people who are not able to climb that ladder as easily as, as, as other people might be able to do it, and they have to pay more taxes and they have to, you know, uh, go through all of this crap. Then you have the winners who are the people who are more financially savvy and, 
you know, uh, were able to do whatever to get to a certain position. The winners are always going to be like, how can I spend the least amount of money? The winner, the losers are always going to be like, how can I get more money? Or, or, or better yet, the losers are going to be like, well, the people that are rich should pay more money. The rich are going to be like, well, I shouldn't have to pay more money. You feel me? Those people down there should figure out how to be rich like me. Now, most people say, oh, that's messed up. It's not messed up. The reason why it's not messed up is because when you live in a society that is a capitalist society, right, you have the opportunity to switch positions. You have the opportunity to go from being the poor guy to being the rich guy. And the thing about it is when you go from being the poor guy to being the rich guy, your position and your ideology is going to change. You feel me? When you're the poor guy and you work you know, a, a regular job working class, you're going to be like, oh, well, minimum wage should be $30 an hour or some something ridiculous like that, right? But then when you become the rich guy and it comes time for you to employ people, you don't want to pay nobody $30 an hour. You want to pay them the least amount of money that you can pay them, right? Your position changes. So when you're the poor guy, you might be the guy that be this like, oh, well, the rich, they should take money from the rich and give it to us, right? which is a very socialist, communist way to think, right? But if you're the rich guy, you're going to be like, why should the government or anybody take money from me to give it to people who haven't done what I've done to get to where I'm at? So your position is, it's, it's all about perspective, right? But right now, with the goofiness that's going on, it, it makes it very difficult for you to be, like right now, any of you that are successful, any of you that are successful right now, right? Any of you that are successful, would you really want to live in a world where you were poor or you were struggling and then you sacrificed, you worked hard, you grinded, you did everything that you were supposed to do and then you get to a position where you can become a millionaire? Do you really want to live in a world where all of a sudden they change the way the government is structured, change the way society is structured and say to you, hey, you can't be a millionaire anymore. You got to give your money away and go back down to the level where you were at. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. You're coming out of, out of Los Angeles, coming to Washington with what kind of a plan, what kind of an idea, what was Breitbart in Los Angeles, and what does Breitbart become in Washington? Well, Andrew was, had been Matt Drudge editor. He had been one of the launch editors for Arianne Huffington and the Huffington Post. He always had a vision of what a news site could be. At the time, he was a blog, right? And kind of people posted stuff that were citizen journalists. Andrew had this big vision of what a real news site could be. We were the blog kind of for the Tea Party. This Tea Party energy, you know, right after the financial collapse in the spring of the next year, in fact, on Rick Santelli had this rant, this very famous rant that took place when the first TARP thing was being talked about. And he was basically saying, hey, all the working class people are paying for this, right? That rant initiated these group of kind of disparate people to have a meeting on, and basically have people come out on April 15th on tax day. April 15th of 2009, that was the beginning of the Tea Party. And Andrew saw very quickly, as I saw, that there was this real populist power in this. There was, this was something totally different. This wasn't 
this was not standard Republican Party. This was a whole new deal. And so we started covering that, and Breitbart kind of came the blog site for that. Andrew wanted us to do a new site. We were able to raise some money. And in 2011, we closed on the money, and we decided that the center of gravity of our political coverage had to be in Washington, D.C. And we, we released this house right back to the Supreme Court, and we called it the Breitbart Embassy. And the reason was we were an embassy in a foreign capital, mm. right? Because everybody told us, I mean, we were lectured by guys saying, you're not going to have any access, you're going to have to play the game to get access. And we kind of said, hey, we're going to just kick down doors. How about this? We're going to be totally different. And so we called this place the embassy for the simple reason that we, you know, we thought we were in an embassy in a foreign capital, that this was owned and run by the permanent political class. And so a handful of people like Peter Schweitzer uh, and others, Matt Boyle and Andrew, we started this new site. Now, unfortunately, Andrew died tragically, you know, four days before the site was to be, to be launched. He was working 20 hours a day to build the site, to perfect it. He had these, he was a, he was a quite a visionary when it came to new media and how people accessed information. And so the whole site you see today was really his creation. He created every component piece of it, including how news flowed, flowed through the system, how we promoted things, et cetera. And so that was this kind of rowdy. And remember, the one, one thing we, the decision we made very fundamentally, and I kind of was, I think, a big influence on Andrew on this. I said, look, we're attacking Nancy Pelosi and Barack Obama, we're so far removed from having any influence over that, because this time we're a very small site. I said, we're the populist, you know, kind of economic nationalist part of this. Let's attack the real enemy, and the real enemy is the Republican establishment. What we're gonna do is just go after the House leadership, we're gonna go through Mitch McConnell's, we're gonna go after the donors. We're just gonna go hard at kind of this, 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 this kind of Paul Ryan philosophy. Why would you think Bader and Cather were vulnerable? Because they were vulnerable, because there's a huge disconnect. Remember, the, Repu the one thing is Democrats, they have lined up, they have actually, at least here, to here recently, donors in their, in their base kind of line up. The Republican Party is totally dysfunctional. It's essentially a working class party. The votes all come from working class or low and middle class people, predominantly, right? And it doesn't represent their interests. This book written by a guy called you know, what's the matter with Kansas, where he kind of walks through the, yeah. the donor class, the singers and the cokes, these kind of libertarians, have this entirely different concept, this kind of Austrian school of economics concept that the, the uh, political apparatchiks, remember the consulting clan. Shout out to Mike Shinnery, man. Appreciate you. Turner! Mike said, putting out great info. Appreciate you, bro. Look, here's the thing, and guys in uh, guys in the ghetto sphere over there, right? Guys in the ghetto sphere over there, they're never gonna get this. They're never gonna get this. I am not in the position I'm in by accident. I'm not. They, they think I am. They think they think it was just the luck of the draw. No, I just needed opportunity. That's it. All I need is opportunity. And once I get the opportunity, I run with it. It's not an accident. But the reason why it's not an accident is because I actually pay attention to the part of the world that most black men don't. Okay, most black men do not pay attention 
to economics, finance. They don't. The idea of economics is going and punching the clock and working for somebody else for their entire life and trying to save money and, and, and all of that crap. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you punch a clock for a living, the, the likelihood of you becoming rich or wealthy or super successful is, is, is so low that you might as well, you, you might as well take $5 every day and play the lottery because you have a better chance of becoming rich that way than you do becoming rich working for somebody else. I can tell you that right now. I can tell you that right now. But you, you have these individuals, you know, you, you got black guys over in the ghetto sphere. They're always talking about finance. They're always talking about Bitcoin. But they're really paying lip service to it. How, how many of them dudes over there, for those of you that follow me from there, how many of them dudes over there have you ever, have you ever heard actually give anybody a good idea on how to actually start a business or make some money? Like how many, how many have you ever, how many of them have you ever really seen say, Hey man, you know, you could, you can make some money doing X, Y, Z. I think the only person, right? I think the only person that said anything in reference to a way to actually make some money, I think was MOT when he was talking about the trucking business. Like, was MOT. I mean, I've given guys plenty of ideas on how to make money. Plenty. Plenty of ideas on how to make money. But I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a thug. You feel me? I'm just a thug. I'm just a thug, even though... Let me go check it out real quick. Even though all of my mutual funds are up. Like all of them. All of my joints is up. Some of them almost up 20 points. But you know, they know what they're talking about. I don't I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. But let's see what let's see what Let's see what Rand Paul had to say about the about the package, the two point three trillion dollar government spending in the in the COVID relief package. So let's see, we got Rand Paul. He supposedly had a rant. So let's see. Senator from Kentucky. Republicans like to mock modern monetary theory. The idea that government can print money with impunity, that government can spend whatever it wants without the need to tax. Modern monetary theory is basically the Dick Cheney deficits don't matter crowd, trussed up with a new fancy title. 
Most Republicans rightly lampoon this quackery, that is, when they're not practicing the quackery themselves. Today, many of these same Republicans will vote for a bill that makes modern monetary theory look like child's play in comparison. The monster spending bill presented today is not just a deficits don't matter disaster, it is everything Republicans say they don't believe in. Now, let's see, Joel said coronavirus stimulus is, UB, is a UBI dry run. Now, um, over in the ghetto sphere, I've, I've heard BGS constantly talk about the UBI, right? Universal basic income. That will be a disaster. If they ever implement a universal basic income, they will plunge us back to the dark ages. I can tell you that right now. As much as they want to run around here talking all of this stupidity about a fucking mouse utopia and, and a fucking UBI, right? And, and, and they're always condemning capitalism. If capitalism is so fucked up, why does, why does the one capital, why does the biggest capitalist country lead the fucking economy? Have you ever asked yourself that question? America ain't getting, they didn't pass this fucking, uh, uh, they didn't try to pass this stimulus to, to, to ask for aid from other countries. It's us giving aid to countries and we give that aid every fucking year. Every single fucking year we give aid to numerous fucking countries. How in the fuck? And, and a lot of those countries are what you would call quote unquote communist fucking countries. If you look at, if you look at China right now, China's ass is in a sling right now. They're fucked over right now. You know why? Because they depend on us for their economic growth. Period. Point blank fucking period. So if they ever fucking do this great reset or whatever the fuck you call it, they're going to plunge us into the fucking dark ages. You can bet your fucking money on that. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. If they ever fucking implement the UBI, they will destroy modern civilization. They'll destroy modern civilization. I said it before and I'll say it again. Capitalism, it may not be perfect, but it is better than every other system that we have seen thus far. This is the main fucking reason why America continues to be the greatest country on earth as long as we keep the shit going. But the only reason why, and people don't even realize this shit, people don't even realize this shit. The only reason why we have this ideological view that is spreading through this country like a fucking virus faster than the coronavirus virus ever could. You feel me? Spreading through this fucking country like cyberdyne systems. Okay. The, the only reason that shit is over here is because that is the Chinese subverting us through their fucking influence in order to convince us that communism is the better way. And I can tell you this right now. If in fact, they were to convince us that socialism or whatever the fuck was the better way, it would fucking gut this country out. It would destroy this country. 
And the moment that China gets to a position where they are the main superpower, I guarantee you that not long after that, they will fucking transfer their system or they'll they'll convert their system into a more capitalist system. If they can figure out a way to have capitalism but still control their people, that's what they'll fucking do. I'll bet money on it. And I'm sitting here like, you know what? You want to send some fucking relief money? You want to send some fucking relief money if, if any of you politicians happen to be watching this shit right now? If you want to send some relief money anywhere, send it to fucking Japan. Send it over there. Send it over there. Send it over there and pit the Japanese against the fucking Chinese. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to fucking do. In my personal opinion, that's what you need to do. That's what you need to fucking do. Make Japan China's competitor. That's what you need to do. You need to go over there and give them what they need to be China. Give them enough to be China's competitor, but not enough to where they could get into the same position as the fucking Chinese and then become a threat to us. And what the fuck is this shit? I thought we knew how to play this game. I thought that was the whole point of creating the fucking CIA. What, what is the point of this shit? What is the point of this shit? See, Patrice O'Neill was right. He was fucking right. Oh my God, Patrice O'Neill was right. There's a comedy special where Patrice O'Neill scolds. Man, let me see if I can find that shit. Let me see if I can find it. Right here. Bitch, you knew he was a faggot! He looked like a Now this is a comedy special where Patrice O'Neill is joking about being racist towards Arab people, right? It's, it's fucked up the way he said it, but watch what he says after it. Watch what he said, and it's some true shit that he says, right? Not me, I'm a racist to my bones, motherfuckers. Shot Arab Why God are you flipping? I'm going to say it. No one has respect for you. I'm not saying, hey, white guys, man. I'm telling you, you motherfuckers are just becoming complete losers, man. You phony. Phony. Release all your fucking... All your rights to racism should be released to me. Because you niggas is not doing a good job no more, man. You're worried about what people think about you. Not me. I'm a racist to my bones. Now, I want you to think about what he said. Now, he's going in on white guys. He's saying, yo, y'all useless now. Y'all are too phony. 
He said, you need to release all of your rights to racism to me. Because you care too much about what people think. And that's some real shit. Y'all have been, y'all have been shamed so much with racism that you are currently, and, and I'm saying this to white guys because it's predominantly white guys in the government. It's predominantly white guys in the government. Y'all are allowing all of these fucking countries to fuck us. And, and the way you got shamed into doing it was through racism. The shaming of racism. Now, I ain't gonna say it's all white guys because some of y'all are waking the fuck up. Some of y'all are waking the fuck up. Okay? Some of y'all are waking the fuck up. You got guys like Salty Cracker. He's woke. He woke the fuck up. You, you, got, you got a bunch of different guys that be on YouTube. They've woke the fuck up. They ain't trying to hear that uh, white men are the most evil motherfuckers on the planet and da-da-da, all of that old bullshit, right? Because that's really how they shame y'all. Oh, y'all are the most evil and this, that, and the third. And so you're showing sympathy to motherfuckers you shouldn't be showing sympathy to. We shouldn't be showing sympathy to, to fucking China. They're attacking us. We shouldn't be showing sympathy to the Middle East. They're attacking us. That's just real shit. That's just real fucking shit. Now, most of, most of us will fall for the myth because see, I'm gonna tell you something. It ain't just white guys, it's black guys too. We falling for the myth. We, they got us believing that our enemy is the white male in America and nobody else. And I don't know how many times I've had to say this to stupid Negroes who say dumb shit like, oh, well, the country's falling. I'm glad it's gonna fall. Motherfucker, if it falls in, in China or fucking Iran or whoever the fuck comes over here, do you think they're gonna come over here and, and talk to you based upon the inner workings of this country? Do you really think they're gonna sit back and look at the history of this country and say, oh, well, you know, we're gonna round up all of the white people and all of you black folks, we know that you went through some shit back in the day in this country, Jim Crow and racism and, 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 and fucking antebellum slavery, so we're not gonna bother you. Get the fuck out of here. If they come over here, they're gonna round your black ass up just like they're gonna round their white ass up. And they're gonna put us all in some fucked up shit because they view all of us as Americans. Now, am I saying there isn't some tension or some fucking uh, 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 raw nerves when it comes to racism or race relations between white men and black men? No, I'm not saying that. But I said it earlier this year. I said it earlier this year on a fucking live stream on, on my channel, The Street Conservative. I said, I said, the challenge of the century is gonna be if black men and white men can put aside their racial differences and take back control of this fucking country. I'm talking about masculine, patriarchal men. That's the challenge. Can we put aside the goofy shit that we got between us so that we can take back control of this fucking country? And, and snatch it out of the hands of these fucking feminists, these fucking gynocentric fucking broads, these fucking progressives, these liberals, these, these uh, homos, all of this shit. All of this shit. Because they're willing to let this motherfucker burn just so that heterosexual 
patriarchal men don't have any fucking power. Now, I'm going to tell you like this. Some of my forebearers were both black and white. Now, the ones that were black had to deal with Jim Crow, had to deal with uh, 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 systematic racism, had to deal with fucking slavery, all of that shit. But I don't have to deal with that. I don't. I got to search for racism. You feel me? So I'll be damned if, if, if we've gotten to a position to where now I, the country is to a place where there is some unity. You see, look, you see black and white people supporting Donald Trump. You see black and white people out here fucking protesting and fighting for the fucking country. You feel me? So we're actually in a position to where there can be some semblance of equality amongst the races in this country. But it needs to be amongst the, the benefits need to be uh, uh, reaped by foundational Americans. You feel me? Now, most of you might be like, well, foundational. What do you mean by foundational? What I mean is who was in this motherfucker first? <laughs> That's what I mean. Who's been here the fucking longest? Okay? That's all I'm saying. Who's been here the fucking longest? You feel me? Not some Johnny come lately that just got here yesterday. Fuck all of that. Okay? And I'm not saying that we should be a closed society where nobody can come in here. I'm not saying that. But we need to be careful about who the fuck comes up in here. And when they come up in here, we need to be careful about what type of positions they get in our fucking government and all of our fucking systems and shit. Patrice never got as big as he should have got because that position is not politically correct but it's a hundred percent spot on if you got a country that's constantly yelling death to Americans why the fuck are you allowing that group of people to work at the airport why the fuck are you allowing that group of people to work in government Why? Why? Take your ass. Look, be be a uh, uh, white or black or Latino or Arab. Go to China and think you're going to get a position in their fucking government. Go to Japan and think you're going to get a position in their government. Are you fucking serious? You've lost your fucking mind. You've lost your fucking mind. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It ain't going to happen. It ain't, that shit ain't going to happen. No. <laughs> Indians either. The dot Indians, you can't work 
me because I'm not sure if you're Arab. I can't tell the difference between you and Arab. So black Indians, you can't work. On the outskirts, but you don't leave me level five clearance, motherfucker. You work at the McDonald's or the, or the duty free, whatever the fuck you want to work at, not where you let people through. If you think I worked at the airport and security, I wouldn't let a nigga through every once in a while. Like, go ahead, man, don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> then you hear on the news, oh my God, 16 niggas, we don't know how they stuck everything on, they hijacked the plane and flew it into something. <laughs> how they get through? Because I let them through, because I'm a nigga, I ain't no crazy, you You don't think an Arab would do that? Oh, my brother, you brother, you know what I mean? You brother, you know what I mean? And for the record, for the record, for the record, I'm only talking about this shit because I'm on D-Live. But this is the type of shit I talk about when I'm at home. Just chilling. This is the type of conversations I have with my girl. And then sometimes I'll say some shit and I'll be like, do you think that's racist? She's like, yeah, that's racist. That's real racist. I'll be like, oh well. Fuck it. <laughs> I can't help it. Like, I, I can't fucking help it, man. I can't help it. Like we we America has been such an open society for so fucking long. We got bruh, you got Chinese spies. You got a Chinese spy that was working for that was working for a fucking U.S. senator for twenty goddamn years. How the fuck do you work for somebody for twenty fucking years in the government as a spy and nobody figures that shit out? How? How the fuck does that happen? How in the absolute fuck does that happen? How's that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens when you get on this humanitarian shit where you say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter who, you know, it, it doesn't matter because you can't make these assumptions. You, you can't make these assumptions. You can't make these assumptions, right? You can't make the, look, let me tell you something. I'm gonna say this shit, and there's gonna be plenty of Negroes who watch me on YouTube that's over here right now. They're gonna think I'm so wrong for this shit. They're they gonna think I'm a coon for saying this shit, but I'm gonna keep it all the way funky. I'm gonna keep it all the way funky with you, right? I was a police officer, right? If I pulled you over, like let's say that you had a, let's say you had a Mercedes Benz. And I pulled you over. If you were a black guy in a suit, right? And I pulled you over and I asked you some questions and you talk in a, in a civil, normal way, you probably wouldn't think nothing of it. it. It wouldn't send my radar up. Same thing with a white guy. You feel me? Now if I pull you over and you in a beat up ass Honda Accord, as soon as I get to the fucking window, I smell weed coming out the motherfucker. And every passenger in there looks ghetto than a motherfucker. I'm going to be nervous as a black cop. I'm going to be fucking nervous. I'm going to be nervous. Now, for those of you that are going to say, oh, that's some coon shit. It would be the same way if I pull over Billy Bob in his fucking pickup truck. And he looks like he's straight out of a fucking trailer park. Straight trailer park white guy. I'm going to be fucking nervous. 
It's a fucking class thing. I don't know how many ways I got to explain that to y'all. It's a fucking class thing. It has to do with class. If, if you see somebody that, that comes from an environment where you know they have a tendency to be violent, whether it's white, black, Asian, whatever the fuck, you're going to be nervous about that shit. That's just what it is. That's just what it is.
You go like this, and they go, you, you were late. English people, English people hate us because we were late for the war. Like, I thought we saved them or something from World War, World War II, but evidently, we, um, our soldiers came over and fucked all their women. <laughs> After the, the Germans bombed the shit. So they really, we came late and then fucked their women, right? So they hate us, but they tell me this, and I go, well, come on, man, guess. <laughs> Oh, my father is. Who are you? <laughs> what the fuck are you crying about? <laughs> I love a country that treats me like dog shit. Because I ain't going back to Africa. <laughs> That's another thing. We're the, I'm not going back to no fucking Africa. Africa ain't shit. Africa, we ain't the lost children of Africa. Black people are like a special case. We're some new motherfuckers, man. We ain't African. What are we doing in Africa? Can't wear no nice clothes. I'm gonna be over there fighting. Got a, some sweatpants and tuxedo shoes with a fucking. Yo, let me tell you something about Patrice, man. Shout out to Bishop One Love. He said, "Rest in power, Patrice, legend, blessings, King AM." Appreciate you. Let me tell you something about Patrice. Patrice was head ahead of his time, and he was prolific. You have any earthly idea how much bravery it takes to sit on a stage and say shit like that? Do you have any earthly idea? And Patrice wasn't no dumb motherfucker. Patrice was super intelligent. If you listen to some of, if you listen to how he analyzes certain situations and breaks certain shit down, he was, he was a genius level motherfucker. You feel what I'm saying? Most comedians are. Most comedians are genius level dudes anyway. But, um, you know, the good ones, the good ones, you know, uh, uh, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, um, um, uh, uh, Robin, uh, Robin Williams, um, Bill Cosby. You know, these are genius level dudes. Or Dave Chappelle, these are these are very smart dudes, right? But um, for him to sit back and to say the shit that he says, right? Yo, it, it takes some fucking titanium nuts to say shit like that. You feel me? Titanium nuts, you understand? AK-47 fighting. Because the Belgians told me to get the fuck out of here. Africans ain't shit. I'm American and shit. I'm a new, I don't know what the fuck I am, but I ain't African. I mean, they don't love us. Fuck Africa. But this country can't, this country can't lose. Because we're arrogant. That's why we're number one. We don't give a fuck. You know, I was watching Fox, you know, the first, now they cutting off heads over that in Iraq like it ain't shit. We are on like orange alert, like right underneath the high, you know, the first news thing of the day on Fox News the other day, the fourth annual puff pie pastry eating contest in Wisconsin. <laughs> we don't give a fuck. You know, the puff pie shit on the monster said, go, no, 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 no. And he had the pie and shit on his face. I'm like, we don't give a shit. That should be our Al Jazeera network. Every time they show a nigga get his head cut off, we show a nigga eat puff pie with doing it. Nah, whatever, nigga's head 
cut off. What the hell are you gonna do? We don't give a shit. You gotta understand that. We don't care. I mean, we do, but we don't care. We don't travel and shit. We do travel with Arabians. I refer to people in their own country as foreigners. When I go to countries, I act like they're visiting me. I'm like, where the fuck are you from? <laughs> we call our sports champions world champs, and we don't play nobody else in the whole world. We don't play nobody else. <laughs> the Mets versus the Yankees, and that's the world champ. You can take the train from where the Mets play and the Yankees play, and that's the world champ. The Yankees versus Sacramento, that's the world champ. That's why they hate us. But that's our job. Embrace it. Embrace how much they hate us. The rest of the world stinks. You see what we do? We steal English TV shows and make them into something here. Billion dollar industry. Who anyway with some goofy shit? We brought it here, stole it, made it something fantastic. We're better. Even our pedophiles are talented. Look at Michael Jackson. No pedophile is as talented as Michael Jackson. That man touches kids on a regular basis, and we can't stop listening to his music. We try to rationalize it. Make it so wonderful. We made a deal with ourselves. Okay, I'm only gonna listen to the music he made before he started touching kids. Then you are not alone comes on, you're not sure. You and I, he's like, oh shit, what was that name? Because that was a good one. Damn, I hope you wasn't touching me. I wasn't touching kids doing you are not alone, fuck! Martha Stewart is the shit. I love her. I didn't love her until she stopped going to jail. I'm, 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 I love that. I'm sorry, if I keep playing this, I'm gonna end up playing the whole thing, man. If I keep playing it, I'm gonna end up playing the whole thing, man. Patrice was the king, man. Patrice was the fucking king, man. Fucking hilarious, man. Hilarious. But that but what he's what he's saying at the beginning of that is true. Like, when did we start giving so much of a fuck about other countries? Did we, we're giving fucking billions of dollars away that we don't even really have to give. Since if you really want to be honest, we, we don't even have it to give. Why the fuck are we giving away all of this money to countries? Some of which can't fucking stand our guts. Some of which hate and despise us. Why? Why? Doesn't make any fucking sense. Doesn't make any fucking sense. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but anyway, I've been on here for two hours, man. Um, There's a few things that I have not seen any um, updates on that I'm really wondering about. And the fact that I haven't seen any updates on it almost confirms for me that it probably happened. Um, I haven't heard anything about Sidney Powell becoming special counsel, right? I haven't heard anything about what Pence did today. If he did anything today, um, 
there's a few things that I think might be happening behind the scenes, but I don't know if they are because a lot of it's being suppressed. But I'm really interested to see. But, you know, I will be coming back at you guys tomorrow for a, uh, Depending on what type of updates we have, I'm, I'm definitely going to do a street conservative tomorrow. Um, whether or not we do a D live tomorrow night, it depends on depends on what type of if we get any updates. If we get any updates, I will. You feel me? But I'm about to get up out of here, man. Look, I appreciate you guys for helping me reach a thousand followers. Appreciate you guys that contributed. Um, the clock got reset, but I think we still reached our, our contribution. So I definitely appreciate you guys for that. Um, but be looking out for me tomorrow. And any of you guys, if you get any updates about anything, send it to me at askangryman at gmail.com. But I'm going to holler at you guys later. Remember, keep the pride, hold the line, and stay conservative, my friends. I'll let you guys later. Deuces.